We're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 6, and uh, I don't have a whole lot this evening. Um, I don't anticipate us, anticipate us going very long tonight, uh, just simply because there's a couple things I want to cover, and then the next subject that we have to launch into is going to be quite, uh, it's going to be a class on its own. So um, we're going to finish up two of the seals that we're looking at. If you remember in, in Revelation chapter 5, we're told as John is, is given this vision of, a, of this scroll that's in heaven, and it, it's sealed seven times. Nobody can open it, and it's, it's a picture from the day of, of something, of a scroll that was rolled up and sealed many times, and uh, the only one worthy to open that is Christ, and we said that that is representative of uh, the final seven years of the earth, what is called or known as the Great Tribulation period. And as each one of these seals is opened, uh, a new event takes place or something begins to unfold in this timeline of the final seven years, at least of this age as we know it and before Christ reigns as king. And this is actually the events that will set that up to where at, when this is fully and finally unrolled, Christ will rule as king on this earth and set up his kingdom on this earth uh, for what is known as the millennium. For a thousand years he'll rule and reign. Um, that's in the future in Revelation. We'll get to that uh, soon enough. But we, we've been tracking as each one of these seals is open. John sees the vision. He sees this representation of the timeline being unfolded as it goes along. And, and time uh, events that happen in this time period are being depicted right now as Riders on horses. If you've heard that phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that's where this comes from. This this passage of study that we're uh, passage of scripture that we're studying, and and we see that each one of these riders has a different characteristic, or it brings different events with him. The first one we saw was rather peaceful. Uh, somebody sitting on a white horse, and a crown is giving to him, and he has this conquering spirit about him and he he puts his rule in place and he does it rather peacefully there's no mention of of him having to overthrow somebody but he sets up his kingdom rather his kingdom is given to him in a peaceful way and so we see that there will be a time of peace on the earth what one that this world has not known um, we've always had tensions there hasn't been total global peace well, this seems to be a time when that takes place. And that's the first rider, the first seal, the, the first event that kind of starts everything going. Then in Revelation 6, 3, and 4, we see the second seal is opened, and this rider is much different. He's not riding on a white horse. He's riding on a red horse. And we, if we could give him a name, we could give him the name of war because his power is to take the peace from the earth, and wars break out. It is as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So this is not a surprise to any Bible student. We see this mentioned quite often when it comes to the time of the end. Okay. We've seen those two events take place. There's going to be a time of peace and there's going to be a time of war. What I want to pick up in is verse 5. So Turn in your Bibles, if you're not there, to Revelation 6, and I want to read verse 5 down through verse 8. That's going to be the section we'll study tonight. Revelation 6 and verse 5. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld. And lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. 
And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So I don't know if you've had any kind of impression of what the period called the tribulation will be. The name itself should give you enough clues. But if you had any impression that this would be a good time or this would be a peaceful time, well, there is a period of peace in it. But as we go along in these seals that are opening, it makes it crystal clear, especially these next two riders on these horses that we'll study tonight. It makes it crystal clear. This is not going to be an easy time. It's called the time of trouble in Scripture. It's called the time of tribulation. It's called the time of trying. In fact, Matthew, in Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 says this, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. His disciples come to him and they, they ask him, what's going to be the signs of the end? And when are, when are these things that you're talking about, this kingdom of heaven, when's this going to take place? And he begins to tell them, and I can imagine their looks on their faces as they hear some of these things that he's saying. Some of the things we'll read and we'll get into beginning next week. But I can imagine their reaction. And he says, listen, guys, this is going to be great trouble, great tribulation, a time of trying. Not not like has ever been, nor like will ever be. And you think of the periods of time in our history that have been hard. Wars, world wars. I think of the time of the, the plague. And people were dying. We think we're in a pandemic. The, the plague killed millions upon millions of people in Europe, wiping out much of the population. Going back even into ancient history, you can see tough times and Jesus says this time that is coming is going to be tougher than anything that has ever happened so yes it's going to be tough we love peace we love when things are going easy we love uh, uh, having ease in life and I if I could just say I could speak for myself I think we've grown a little fat and a little lazy when it comes to things like that we like having it easy and any hard time that comes along oh man it just it just about wrecks our world. We can even abide wars going on, provided they're somewhere else, in those lands far away like the Middle East. But when things start to hit closer to home, oh, we don't like it at all. Well, that's why the Scriptures are given to us, and this book of the Revelation has been given to us, so we can begin to prepare our hearts. In fact, I think it is the book of Luke that says is Jesus is is speaking to his disciples, he says, when you begin to see these things, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. These are meant to prepare us to, to discern the times that are going on and so that we can look to the ultimate blessed hope, and that is the return of Christ. So, let's consider these two writers, and then we'll, we'll be done for our study tonight. So, in verse 5, the third seal opens. Again, when he opened it, that is Christ, no man can put these into place, no Demon can start these things. Satan himself cannot uh, start these events in motion. It's all controlled by an end, the hand of God. This is his plan. This is his um, 
how do I say that? His redemption? No. It's His purpose in how He's going to set up His kingdom. It's His final say. The word's escaping me. Maybe it'll come back to me. But this is all in His hand. His hand. And so He moves these things along. When the time comes, He opens the next seal, as we're given this picture of, and says, okay, now it's time for this. And so the third event that takes place begins to unfold. And John, as he is writing this, is told, look. He says, I behold, and lo, a black horse. Remember that symbol of a horse? It's a, it's, it symbolizes position. It symbolizes power, swiftness. That these things are, are going to be... Um, they're going to take place in places of position, somebody who's in a place of power, and they're going to move along. Just think about it. Even as we're experiencing the, the current situation that we are with all this COVID-19 stuff, in a one-week period, everything changed for us, didn't it? We, we went from being normal to, wow, what happened within just about a week's time. So... We shouldn't be surprised how things can move along in the world, and it seems to be in the tribulation. These things are going to take place, and the change is going to come quickly. So he sees a horse, and its color is black. Black. We see uh, people dressed in a black suit. We think either they're important or they're going to a funeral. We see a line of black cars. We think either it's a funeral procession or the FBI is going to get somebody. Or It's an oppressive color, right? It's a dark color. It's a, uh, a dark symbol. We, we probably most often associate it with funerals. We could say it's the color of death. And that is certainly fitting for what's about to happen. This guy is on a black horse. And the writer has a peculiar description. And he that sat on him, in the end of verse 5 there, had a pair of balances in his hand. Well, what's these balances? It's the old school scales. It has like a bowl on one side and a bowl on the other and something in the middle. So you would weigh, and if something was equal, it would balance out. That's where the word balance comes from. So he's coming, riding on this horse that is oppressive and, and dark, and he holds in his hand a pair of balances or a pair of scales. Well, what is he weighing? Is this like the justice lady? I don't know if you've ever seen that depiction where she's blindfolded and holding a, a pair of scales. Is, that, is, is, he, is he weighing out justice? Is he making things right and restoring peace? Is he weighing money? Or what's going on here? What's he, what's he weighing out? Well, it seems to be from the next verses, and we'll get into that in just a couple minutes. It doesn't seem to be that he's in control of justice or money or anything like that. It seems to be that he is in control of the food supply. The food supply. Because it seems to be he is given direct control over that. Verse 6 says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. His focus seems to be on food. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the food supply is gone. By the way, if it, I, I don't know if it makes any sense or whoever might be listening to this, you're being told that things in the food supply are gone. I'm in the food chain. That's not the case. The case is they need to open up things. And uh, <laughs> we have a food chain that was 
fine-tuned to restaurants running and grocery stores running and when you shut that down there's too much and so the, the case is not that there's not enough it's that there's too much we just can't get it out to people because well things are closed down anyways that's a rabbit didn't mean to chase it it doesn't seem to be that the food supply is gone here no it just seems that he's in control now you have to think of the progression of things. We have peace, and then we have war, and then we have famine. So it could be that the food supply is damaged, but I don't get that sense. It's more that he's in control of the supply. Like he's in charge of the cost of it, or he's in charge of the distribution of it. And I get that from what is said next. So notice verse 6 again. I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, don't, don't skip over that now. There's a voice in the midst of these four beasts. If you remember... These are the holy angels that we are uh, also learn their names are seraphim from Isaiah chapter 6. So the voice coming in the middle, that's God. Again, God is in control of all of this. He is allowing by Him. This guy only has control because God is allowing it. And He gives some very specific instructions. A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Okay, what's up with that? <laughs> what does that mean? What does that have any bearing on, on what's going on in the end? Listen, because it, well, if you read it at first glance, it could kind sound kind of good, right? A measure of wheat? Well, a measure sounds like a lot, and a penny. I know what a penny is. I find them on the ground all the time, and people are punching holes in them and flattening them out, and they don't, they're not worth that much to us, are they? So... Is this like a time of plenty? And believe it or not, there are, there are in, uh, people who interpret this passage and say, well, yes, this is talking about a time of great plenty when food is so cheap, and I don't believe that's the case. Without going into the boring specs and speaking Greek and measurements we don't quite understand, let me just tell you what you need to know to, to get a grasp on this. This measure is basically enough food for one man, it was quite often um, associated with a soldier's daily food ration or a worker's daily food ration. And some even narrow it down to one meal. A measure is enough for one person for a day. And the penny, the penny is not one cent. The penny, the Greek word is denarius, is basically a day's wage. A day's wage, so a worker would get paid a denarius. And we see this in other places of Scripture. A day's wage. Normally, a denarius would buy at least, at least, eight times as much as a measure, sometimes up to 48. That's the, the best way I can make it clear. You could get eight times as much, at least, sometimes 16, sometimes 48, depending on how you do the math, for one denarius, but here you get only this measure. So I think it's safe to say, I, I don't know what minimum wage is right now, it's too much, but from 100 to 200 to $300, I don't know, maybe some of you make really good money. A couple hundred bucks, 100 bucks, you get enough to feed you for a day. Not your spouse, not your family, just you. A measure of wheat for a penny. Well, if you want to make it spread, 
you can buy the barley. Three measures of barley for the same amount. Well, barley and wheat are not the same. Barley was animal feed. They called it dog. Well, they fed it to the dogs. And it was only for the poorest of poor, and it was not as nutritional. So it, it was not a good substitute. You wouldn't last too long on just barley if you're working. If you're working. You would spend working all day, a day's wage for enough to feed you. Or you could get the cheap stuff and probably feed two other people. If you're working. This is famine. If you want to give this guy a name, you can name him famine. A shortage of food or food that is beyond cost. Something we here in America, at least in for the past couple generations, I don't think we've experienced that. Now, my grandpa lived through the Great Depression. He saw, he was born during it, but he remembers being a kid. Uh, he was born in 1925, so he came through uh, the end of it. And he, he tells stories of what this was like. Literally having one can of beans left for the whole family. And that was it. There, you didn't go to the store and buy more because there either wasn't there or you didn't have the money to do it. You had one can of beans. He tells me that, uh, that story all the time. We don't, we don't know anything like that. I'm sure your kids have done it. My kids have done it. They go to a cupboard that's stocked full. I've done it. You go to a fridge and open it. It's full of stuff. And you say, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> there's nothing to eat. Well, there's plenty to eat. It's just not the thing that you were looking for, right? We have largely no idea what a famine is. Some of the stores have stuff not on their shelves. We start to freak out, don't we? There's no toilet paper. There's no milk or there's no eggs. We start freaking out and we start running around. And when we do find it, oh, we try to buy as much as we can, right? We have no idea what this is like. But as we see here in Scripture, this is going to be the case. Famine. Now there's this last little phrase that's there. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Do you see that in the end of verse 6? That's a little harder to pin down. I can be crystal clear with you and tell you I'm not crystal clear on this. I, I really... I, I don't want to say I don't know, but I think I got some ideas. But as far as saying, oh, this is what it means, it's a little harder because... Well... Let me just give you what other people have said. There are some say that this speaks to the rich, that oil and wine are luxury things, especially will be during this time in a time of famine. And the rich have this way of staying rich and being largely unaffected. Well, listen, if, this, if society by this time is a socialist kind of society, well, then that could be pretty clear. The rich stay rich and the poor stay poor, and they control what's, what's allowed out for the poor down there. And... Um, their lifestyle seems to be unaffected even by famine. And you could look back in history and see that that was the case. Uh, certainly, some, somehow the rich still stay rich. So it could speak to that. It's going to affect everyday man, but those in, in higher positions maybe not. I don't know. Others say it speaks to the necessities of life. Because after all, you had to mix wheat with oil to bake it. And wine was a staple, especially during this time of, of the house. You used it for just about everything. 
And the idea here is, as God says this, you're going to control some of this, but the, there's going to be grace in some other areas. Don't touch those. Don't touch the bare necessities. And listen, there will certainly be grace. You have to understand that. And this, I hope I can bring this out, especially as we begin to read and fill in some blanks with some of this. God's going to have a protecting hand on His people. Most of this tribulation, yes, it, it deals with some things that will affect God's people. Most of it is God pouring out His wrath that He has held back. It is His judgment. That's the word I was looking for earlier. His judgment on the earth for sin and rebellion. And how He crushes it and then sets up His kingdom. So there's going to be grace. And maybe this hurt not thou the oil and the wine speaks to that. Others say this is spiritual and it's talking about His church. And quite frankly, I can just say it remains to be seen. I am very comfortable in this book and in this study to say, listen, I don't know, we're going to have to see what happens. Because I'm not going to try and stand here and say, oh, this is what it's going to be. No. That's one of them. Hey, if you figure it out, good for you, let me know. But I, I don't write, know how to pin that down. So... Famine, the third seal, the third event, or the third course of events, deals with a famine. Seems to be worldwide famine. To some, for somebody to exercise that kind of control, they have to have control over two things, the supply and the purchasing power. So, not only in control of the manufacturers, so you have to be in a place over that industry, but you also have to control how people buy and how much they can buy. What they use to buy it. How they are able to buy it. Some things that will become clearer probably next week as we uh, dive into this, some of this. So, so put that in back in a file in your, your mind and hopefully we can connect the dots for you. That's the third seal. The fourth seal, and here's where I want to finish up this evening. Verse 7. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked. Verse 8. And behold, a pale horse. A pale horse. Well, let's just read the rest. And his name, and the, his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the fields. If ever a passage of Scripture has given inspiration to artists across all of time, this is one. This is one. So many, you can go on, on, on Google and, and uh, punch these verses in, you're going to see picture after picture of people that have tried to depict this rider, death. Death on a pale horse. This passage... This verse, verse 8, is, is where the power or the punch is. It's a staggering verse. It's really scary. It's frightening. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to read this. We, we look at it, and, oh, why don't we go to Psalm where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. We, we don't like to camp on thoughts like this. A rider named Death and hell follows with him and a quarter of the earth is given under his control to kill. But listen, you must not shy away from verses in Scripture. This is given for our understanding. 
for us to try to read and try to put in our hearts. The horse is pale. Literally, the word means greenish-yellow. One uh, lexicon or translator described it as the color of the spring grass. I've seen few dead bodies. Most of them had makeup on in a coffin. But I'm told, and you can read, that this pale greenish color is very fitting for a writer named Death. A good depiction of the bodies that will be left in its wake. The writer's name is Death. No description is given. I can already tell you what he looks like in your mind. Probably a skeleton with a robe and a hood, maybe carrying a, what do they call those things, a scythe? <laughs> you picture the grim reaper as he's called in your mind, riding on a horse probably. Most of us do. In fact, that, was, that depiction came up in the time of the plague and it had a lot to do with these verses right here. Might as well think of them that way because it certainly fits. certainly fits the description. Is this like the death angel? Is that what it is? Is there a death angel? I don't want to get into that subject, but the closer we come, the closest we come to that answer is somebody called the destroyer in Exodus chapter 2 and 23. I don't, I think this description of him is a personification of his actions, of his impact. He is death, and he is bringing death, and he's not alone. I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and him that sa- the, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. Again, <laughs> not a comfortable, feel-good kind of picture. That word hell is Hades. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And it's used in a couple different ways. Okay? We speak of hell, or we can speak of Hades to be the place of judgment, that the... Uh, the place of those who do not know Christ as Savior, and it would be right to use it that way. We can use hell as a description of that. It's also used most often to describe the abode of the dead, the grave. Luke 16 gives us a, uh, an insight into that. If you ever get time, you look at the, uh, the, the account of Lazarus and the rich man. It tells us what Hades was like. Uh, it's much different now. Heaven is in heaven, and well, hell is still, still down there in the grave. But it can also mean be used to just mean the grave and death in general. And I think that's what it means here. I don't think when he says death and hell, like all the damned souls and the demons are unleashed, and and hell itself is is unleashed as. They are allowed to run rampant on the earth. No. I think it means this event brings death and the grave follows him. People are going to die. They're going to cease to live. There is massive, widespread death. Think of the, think of the uh, um, sequence. Peace, war, famine, death. The four horsemen. Peace, war, famine, death. It's a natural progression, isn't it? And power, in the middle of verse 8, power was given unto them, death and the grave, over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. 
one quarter of the earth. This could be speaking geographically, and it might be to where much of this is going to be focused in one centralized area, and I believe that will be the Middle East. Um, and that's going to be true in some senses, but I think he's talking about the global effect. Listen, let's just put it into real numbers. If it's talking about 25% of the population of the earth dying, the last time I looked, and it's probably gone up, was 7.6 billion with a B. If this was to take place right now, 1.9 billion people would die. That is the total population of China and then some. Or all of the population of North America and Europe and then some. This is massive, widespread death. You only get that much death if the war is big and if the famine is big. And notice the modes to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death. And it says with the beasts of the earth. Well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> well, you can just look at some of the... Uh, I think there's penguins wandering the zoo. I don't guess penguins are deadly, but there's uh, critters wandering the streets of Disneyland. Just because of the absence of people, uh, the animal kingdom is quick to take over. Now just imagine some of those meaner critters, lions and tigers and bears. If there is less people to keep them, I don't know if you want to say controlled, well, it seems to be at a time when they're unleashed too. Listen, this is, I, this is not a good picture. It's not a cheery picture. It's unsettling unsettling we don't like we don't like to hear this we as americans don't like to hear this we don't like to see this side of scripture to see this side of god wow that's scary i don't like that makes you want to click off this feed and go find a video of a dog or a puppy or something to make you feel better this is what scripture says this is going to take place in the times of the end, we have grown so used to ease and comfort. Listen, let me be just quite frank with you. Christians of the past, they wouldn't bat an eye at some of this stuff. This is normal. We read, we're scared. These people went through the plague. They went through wars. They went through uh, famine as a way of life almost. And they would look at us and say, toughen up, buttercup. What's wrong with you? But we've grown so used to our way of life that it's almost inconceivable for us. Well, that's why we have the Scriptures, to prepare us. There's a time of judgment coming for this world. And at the same time, to never take our eyes off the final goal. All this takes place so Christ can reign as King. This is how Jesus claims His victory and the goal is to be with Him forever. So, here's where I want to hit the pause button. We're going to pause here at the fourth seal before we start looking at the rest. Because what we need to do is we need to go now and back and start filling some blanks. 
There's seven seals for this seven-year period. Now, I, I don't, I'm not at all suggesting one seal per year. That's, no, 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 no. That's not the case. But so far, four of them have been unrolled. More than half the scroll, as it will, more than half the timeline has been unrolled now. So we're actually pretty far into this period of time. We've actually, just by reading eight verses here, have covered a lot of ground. We need to go back in and start plugging some things in. We need to give some detail from Scripture because we've actually kind of hopped and skipped over a lot. Okay, So let me start with this. I'll introduce this, and here's where we'll pick up next week. What's up with these writers? Are they like individual guys? Are these four different leaders? Four different nations? Or is it just all symbolic? Or What's the deal with that? I don't believe these are four separate uh, individuals, nor do I believe they are symbolic only. I believe these four are four different sides, if you will, to one person. One person. One leader who is in a position of power, who is in a position of rulership, whose rule and power his reign, if you will, will include peace, it will include war, it will include famine, and it will include death. It will include all of those. One who, be, who will be a central figure on the world stage. All of the world will have its eyes on him for most of this seven-year period. He is someone the world will look to. They will follow Him. They will willingly give control of all things to Him so that He is in position to wage war, control some things, and ultimately bring death. I don't know His exact name. The Bible doesn't tell us His exact name, but we know Him well. We call Him Antichrist. He's called the man of sin the man of perdition, the evil one, the beast. We know him probably by his most common name, the Antichrist. I believe these first four seals have to deal with the rise, uh, to, the rise to power, the taking of power, the unleashing of the wrath of, uh, the actions of the Antichrist. So what we're going to do next week because we're going to go back to other parts of Scriptures, because the Bible tells us a lot about Him. He's, we're told about Him in the book of Daniel. Jesus tells us about Him. And here in the book of Revelation, we're given some, some very detailed descriptions. So we're going to look and, and see next week, who is this guy called the Antichrist? Uh, what's it all about? And, and what do we need to be watching for? And, and hopefully we'll begin to fill in some of the gaps. So... That's pretty much it for this evening, and I, I hope it's been enlightening. It's not always, listen, not every sermon's a feel-good, warm and fuzzy message, but it's truth we need to know. If it's in here and John is told, hey, write this down so that people see, and blessed is he that keepeth the words of this book, well, listen, maybe we need to wrap our minds around it and and understand what is coming as God begins to unfold His plan.